So, ladies and gentlemen, today is a very important day. It's a day of unity, but for us, it can be a, a time of healing. I have with me today some of my closest friends. I don't have to discuss black and white issues with them because we've been in love with one another for over 20 years. And I've asked them to come and be with us today just to share what's on their heart. So each of them, they're going to have 10 or so minutes to share what's on their heart. I don't need to check their notes. I know them. They keep some of my secrets, and I keep some of theirs. We know one another's children and grandchildren. Uh, we are not just friends or family. We're in covenant. We're in covenant. We, we have break, broke bread together. We spent our lives together. And if anything happens to me, they've proven that they'll come to my aid. And when anything happens with them, they've proven that they want me to come and help them. That's covenant. Today coming before you is my friends and my family and my covenant brothers. And first, the first one to come and talk to us today and to bless us is going to be Pastor Brad Hayes. This is my brother from another mother. <laughs> and he's going to share with us after him. There will be Roger Nichols, who I've known even before I started the church. He and his wife, Kathy, are here. Brother Roger, who is a messianic cantor, will be sharing with us. After him will be my son in spirit, Pastor uh, Apostle Edna Perkins. Now we say Dr. Edna Perkins. She earned her doctorate. She'll be speaking to us. And then right after that, from Campty, Louisiana, Pastor Roland Smith, or ex-Mayor Roland Smith, and then I'll come and dismiss us. Please pay attention to these next 40 or so minutes. They are very important to us, very important to this city, and may be very important to this nation. All right? Let's welcome Pastor Brad. Thank you. The strangest thing about being together is not giving somebody a hug or giving them a handshake and uh, the elbow just doesn't do it for me. So uh, anyway, so one night a uh, couple of winters ago, I was really bored. And so I decided that I would get onto Ancestry.com and see what I could find out. Um, I know that I'm a fifth generation American on my father's side, but I was sitting there and I didn't even know what my great-grandmother's name was on my mother's side. And all of a sudden, I put her name in and boom, 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 it just kept happening. I kept finding out who my second great-grandfather was, my third great, I got all the way back to my 39th great-grandfather on my mother's side to the year 900 AD. And he uh, was uh, Monroe, and his first name was Oceana Monroe, and he moved from Ireland to Scotland, and they lived there 800, 900 years, and then they were in Massachusetts before the country was even born. I didn't know that, had no clue. I thought they were from Iowa. But um, here's the deal. My wife kept saying to me, Oh, good grief. You can't, you didn't go another generation. Yeah, I did. They all lived in the same town. And she's like, oh, I can't believe that. You're going to get all the way back to Adam. 
And I said, no, I don't think Adam, but for sure Noah. See, I think one of the things that I just know about all of us is we're all related. Uh, I'm sorry, but there's only one race, and it's the human race. And I know this, people are people. I've been to Africa four times, I've been to Europe, I've been all over the globe, and you know what? People's messes are the same everywhere. Every family's got the same issues. I don't, you know, skin, I'm getting, uh, my mom has it, real thin skin where you can start seeing your, your veins and your, <laughs> and um, skin is just a shade. And so when I met Martin and Linnell, I just loved them. I mean, I like them. They're, I like them a lot. And they're friends. And we knew Joshua when he was chill, still wearing diapers. And we knew Callie before she was born. And um, uh, I, I want Sister Edna's hair. Look at her hair when she comes up here. I need more hair. I want to have party hair. But here's the deal. We are the same race, period. End of story. I don't need to work at racial issues. I need to work at family issues. I need to work at, here's the next R, relationships. Because relationships matter. And I'm going to tell you, I, I believe that inherently there are some systemic problems that we have in our society. I won't go there because to me, they're all grounded in one, they all boil down to one thing. Relationships are hard in this broken world. They take work. Marriage takes work. I told Joshua, fight through the first seven years. It's worth it after that time. Relationships take work. And if we don't have relationships with one another, then we have disconnect. And when we have disconnect, we've got problems. And I'm telling you what, I think we're living in a time and an age in our country where there's a lack of civility beyond imagination. And people don't know how to be nice about even disagreeing. It's okay. If you don't like my idea, I don't like yours, let's talk about it. It's okay, that's what families do. That's what people who are in relationships do. But when I believe that my tribe or my group or my family's all right and you're all wrong, and it doesn't even matter that what the truth is, I create my own, we got problems. That's like this guy playing in the key of G and this guy saying, no, it's gonna be B flat. <laughs> it ain't gonna work. It isn't gonna work. But you can't manufacture those relationships in crisis. They have to be there long before there's a crisis. I, I called Martin a couple of weeks ago and just said, how are you doing? How's it going? I saw his stuff on Facebook. I called him. I didn't have to say, well, what should I do? What should I say? What? I'm his brother. It doesn't matter. So it's relationship, relationship, relationship. Because we're all part of the same race and we have to have relationships with each other. Now, that's, that's not to say we all come from the same cultural backgrounds. Um, I've, my mama didn't cook certain foods that I'll eat at his house. 
And then one time he came to my house and I tried to cook a food my mama made and it didn't turn out at all. We had roast instead of prime rib. You know what I'm saying? It, it has to do with relationship, civility. It has to do with finally, when all is said and done, that if we don't take things to the cross and go there first to the cross and live out of grace and mercy, I'm broken and so are you. We're all broken and so is our culture, so is our country. There's never gonna be a perfect place, but the cross is the perfect place to go. And the cross is where we find out we do share the same blood. It is the blood of Jesus, but it's also physically the same blood. Um, I don't know, I was gonna ask you what blood type you are. What blood type are you, do you know? Oh, B, I, well, we're not the same blood. Who's got A? Who's got type A blood? Come on, all right. You got both, okay, well, see, you're bi-bloodal, yeah. Um, the, the reality is it's blood, right? It's blood. And it is the blood of Jesus poured out on us out of our living, out of grace and mercy that we are able to be and dwell with each other. I don't even know that Martin, well, I think you know this, that my grandchildren are biracial on my daughter's side. Um, and the reality is, is I, we've got the best of all the worlds. We almost have the whole world at our table. And it really doesn't matter because Jesus is my brother. He is the brother of you. It is his blood that sustains us. And in the brokenness of our families and our lives, he is our hope. He's the hope of the nation. He's the hope of the future. And he's the hope now. I, I do believe black lives matter. I heard it explained this way, that when you are living on the same block, myself and maybe uh, another person, and their house is on fire, when you, you, have to call the, you have to call the fire department, and you don't say, my house matters, my house matters. You, you say, their house is on fire, that matters. That's what matters. Black lives matter. Yes, every life matters. But we're talking about issues that really need to be changed, and it's okay. And we can talk about those things. We can process those things. Because I'm under the blood of Christ. So are you. And we are in relationship with one another. We better get ready, because when we get to heaven, it ain't going to matter. Now, I, I grew up, a, I'll, I'll close with this, so don't start playing yet. No. <laughs> I grew up a Missouri Synod Lutheran. And if you know anything about, well, first of all, Lutherans, there's all kinds. There's very liberal theology, very traditional, very strict. Missouri Synod Lutherans, at the time when I was growing up, I'm not saying it's necessarily true today, because I'm not one anymore, but... I was taught that we were really potentially the only people going to heaven. 
<laughs> and the joke always was that when you got to heaven and you were getting your first tour by St. Peter that you'd have to be quiet past a few doors. And if you asked why, he would say, because that's the Missouri Synod Lutherans. They think they're the only ones here. That could be that way race-wise, couldn't it? Or skin tone-wise. <laughs> We're going to heaven. And it's because of Christ. It's because of a rock-solid relationship that we broke to begin with. And he bought us back. He showed exceptional grace and mercy. And it is out of mercy and grace that God touches us, that we change. When I was at one of my worst, I would say it was the single worst moment of my life, I called Martin Williams, and he came. And it didn't matter to me what color he was. It didn't matter how many shades there were between my skin and his skin. I needed my brother because he bleeds the same blood I do, the blood of Jesus. Amen. You know, when I'm in Israel, I don't burn, and uh, I don't use suntan lotion. Now, my wife, if she goes over there, she has the opposite problem, because she burns, and I don't. But, you know, it's, um, those are just minor differences, aren't they? But I still love her. And uh, I don't think I'll ever trade her in. After 55 years, uh, almost 56 years of marriage. Hallelujah. One of the, um, one of the different, there are differences. How many of you know there are language differences? And we, uh, we understand things differently. Have you ever said anything that hurt somebody else's feelings? You know, we could come in here and we could say, you know, this, this uh, week we put uh, George Floyd's uh, name on and we did Kaddish. We did Kaddish for him. And we will mention his name on the face of this earth for a full year, every week. And, uh, and that's, you know, and, and you're sitting there going, what is Kaddish? 
You know, well, the temple was destroyed, but God's going to raise it back up. We may be destroyed, but God is raising us back up. Hallelujah. And there isn't anything that can keep us down when we are his. And that's important to remember. We like to think about unity, but you have to receive unity. You have to accept unity. You have to say, you know, I'm going to do more than just pray about this. You know, the Bible says that every night when you're in bed, you should, and this is in the book of Job, when you go to bed, you're supposed to get into that bed and then start asking God questions. Now, if you want to know what those verses are, I would be glad to show them to you. <laughs> but it is interesting. He needs you to get quiet so he can speak to you. And then in, that, in those verses in Job, it talks about how the, he brings about rim sleep and then he ministers the answers to you. And then when you wake in the morning, he has given you an ear to hear what he has said to you in the night. It's powerful, isn't it? Now this is the book of Tehillim. You would call it the book of Psalms. And I love this. Hallelujah. One of the um, one of the things about being up here outside, it's the wind. <laughs> but in the book of Psalms, in Psalm one thirty three, um, it says, "Behold, how good and how pleasant." is the dwelling of brothers, especially in unity. Especially in unity. Now, it may be a little bit different than the translation you have, but this is the Hebrew. Now, I'm going to sing a little bit of it in Hebrew. And um, when I say hine, hine is behold, Ma, how, tov, tov is good, tov is good. Hine ma tovu ma naim, shevet achim gam yachad. Hine ma tovu ma naim, shevet achim gam yachad. He Neematov Shevetachim Gam Yachad Hinematov Shevetachim Gam Yachad. You understood the English, you probably didn't understand the Hebrew, but how many of you felt the Hebrew in your heart? Amen. It is very, very good. It is very pleasant. It is very, very pleasant 
when brothers dwell together in unity. I am, um, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians and I'm going to pray this for you. You have to open yourself up to receive this. How many of you know that God, all of the promises of God are yea and amen unto those that will believe and receive that? And say, well, that promise might be good for some people, but not for me. I'm going to tell you, this congregation has blessed me and my wife so many times. We would be out at the Cracker Barrel. All of a sudden, they would say, your meal was paid for. Now, I'm not pointing fingers. But, you know, it wasn't always just pastor and pastor's wife. Sometimes it's been just individuals in the congregation. And they would see me and they'd say, didn't I see you at, at Ambassador's Worship Center? And say, yes, you did. And I am so glad to have been invited to go there. You've got to open yourself up to the blessings of God. The Word of God says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. How many of you are the righteousness of God in Messiah Yeshua or in Christ Jesus? Amen. We receive that, don't we? He bore my sins and made me righteous. Hallelujah. And he didn't just make me righteous. He made all these wonderful musicians righteous. Are they the righteous brothers? I think so. Hallelujah. When you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, verse 9 and 10. As unknown, yet well known. As dying, and behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Hallelujah! You know, I might be less but in the kingdom, I am more. And it's not just me. It's every one of you. You know, when I was young, nobody had to tell me that I was worthless. I felt worthless. Some of you were raised in homes where you didn't get a lot of compliments from your parents. Now, when they were old, they complimented me all the time. But I think they forgot what I was like when I was young. But God turned me around. And he has turned so many of us around. I want you to go with me 
we're going to um, take a look at Romans chapter 2 and um, here it says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 11 for there is no respect of persons with God there is no respect of persons with God. Do you believe that? I believe it. Hallelujah. There's one, um, over in the book of Job, and uh, the wind is kind of strong. <laughs> Um, in the book of Job, and when we, the, um, actually Job is Eov, it's not Job, it's, um, but those verses that I was talking about, about meeting with God at night, before you go to bed, that's Job 33. And beginning with verse 14. For God speaketh once, yea, twice. Yet man receiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men. Rim sleep. Hallelujah in slumbering upon the bed. He openeth the ears of men and seal their instruction. So I'm going to encourage you to do that and just see what God will deliver to you that will set you free and explode your finances. Bashem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. on the hill and I'm sure you're having a great time let me hear you're having a great time amen so glad all of you are here today to share what the Lord is saying to all of us in this unprecedented time we're going to talk to you this morning concerning um, Romans the eighth chapter verse 18 I'd like to give a shout out to my pastors, Drs. Martin 
and Linnea Williams. Come on and help me bless them. Hallelujah. Very special people in my life. So we're going to talk out of the book of Romans 8 and 18. And it reads like this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen? The sufferings of this present time. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. once said these words, that unearned suffering is redemptive. I want you to say that with me. Unearned suffering is redemptive. Amen. Uh, and it's just so fitting that this event is called the healing on the hill. And that Martin Luther King talked about unearned suffering being redemptive. One of the seven redemptive names of Christ is Jehovah Rapha. Somebody say it with me. Jehovah Rapha. Come on, Jehovah Rapha. Because we're going to talk about unearned suffering is redemptive. You see, Dr. King found this truth, this awesome truth. He found it in the text of Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Um, in that text, we find a young boy by the name of Joseph, and he reveals a vision to his brothers, and for his trouble, he was thrown into a pit, he was sold into slavery, and he was imprisoned before finally becoming exalted to the second highest position in the kingdom. I came to tell you that Joseph would tell you that unearned suffering is redemptive. Amen? Dr. King could see it in the story of the young man named Jeremiah. And despite Jeremiah's youth, he accepted God's ordained calling. But he soon found himself to be ridiculed. He was mocked. He was thrown into a pit. And he was threatened of his life. And even at his wit's end, declaring that he would no longer speak in the name of the Lord. <coughs> but in the same breath, Jeremiah declared that the word of the Lord, the word of God, has become like fire shut up in my bones. And he could not contain it. He suffered much for the Lord. But in the end, he remembered that as a prophet of God, Jeremiah could tell you that unearned suffering, come on, is redemptive. Say it with me. Unearned suffering is redemptive. Can I get some water? <coughs> Thank you. Thank you. Excuse me. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Dr. King visited, and he could have visited a number of the Old Testament prophets, and that would have given him the same testimony. 
then he would have come over to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, he would visit with the theologians called the crown jewel of the Bible. That's Romans, the eighth chapter. He would move past the doctrine of justification. That cannot be denied. He would move past the infallible doctrine of sanctification. He would give notice to the doctrine of spiritual adoption. But he wouldn't stop there. He would make a significant stop at the verse 18. And that's where we read that I consider that the sufferings of this present moment are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In essence, I say to you that unearned suffering is redemptive. Dr. King didn't stop there. He moved on down to the verse 28. And if verse 8 is the crown jewel of the Bible, then verse 28 is the flawless centerpiece of the Bible. And in that Bible verse there, it says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who are love God and who are called according to his purpose. So the bottom line is that unearned suffering is definitely redemptive. Joseph could say, you man are for evil, but you man evil against me, but God meant it for good because unearned suffering is redemptive. Jeremiah could spit the fire of God's infallible word in the first face of adversity and death because unearned suffering is redemptive. Stephen could pray for those who were stoning him because even in the face of death, we learn that unearned suffering is redemptive. I've said all of that before to let you know that your circumstances, people of God, they have no power to rob you of your joy because unearned suffering is redemptive. Your heartache cannot change you and deter your destiny because unearned suffering is redemptive. Betrayal and abandonment cannot block your inheritance because unearned suffering is redemptive. When your marriage fails and your children turn away, I came to tell you that God's movement in your life because unearned suffering is redemptive. What do you mean by unearned suffering? That means you don't deserve to suffer, but it is redemptive. Somebody help me say, it is redemptive. The loss of a loved one that seemed to be so unable to be explained and in its ill time, it's not the final nail, but it's the initial move of God to fulfill his promise. Whatever you're going through right now, God has a plan for your life. I said, whatever you're going through right now, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan to prosper you beyond your burdens. 
He has a plan to elevate you above your struggle. He has a plan to strengthen you in the midst of the storm. He has a plan to deliver you from darkness and devastation. He has a plan to transform your test into a testimony. He has a plan to remove the remnants of your desperation because unearned suffering is redemptive. Because of the death, because of the burial, and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> After the night that he was betrayed, Jesus that same night prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. That same night he asked his disciples to watch while he prayed, but they fell asleep. That same night he prayed until great drops of blood poured from his body. That was the first place that he shed his blood because of the agony that he experienced of the very thought of being separated from his father. After that same night, they nailed him to a rugged cross, raised him on high, stretched him wide between two thieves. He went to hell and he spent three days in the heart of the earth and he said, I'm coming out of here. And he led captivity captive. On that third day morning, he arose out of the grave with all power in his hands. Because the ultimate truth is that the ultimate exemplar, the ultimate example is that unearned suffering is redemptive. Unearned suffering is redemptive. Because he redeemed us through his suffering, through his sacrifice, through his shed blood. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. We are redeemed from the third curse of the law. This reminds me what's going on in this day and time. It reminds me that I found out that if I don't have a cross, then I will not receive a crown. I found out that if I suffer with him, I will reign with him. I found out that unearned suffering is redemptive. That the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of God's kingdom, which shall be revealed in us. You better tell somebody, just wait till you see my glory. Tell your neighbor, wait till you see my glory. Just wait till you see the glory that's going to be revealed in me. I want you to remember that God loves you. He loves me with an everlasting love. I promised him that I would tell you this. I promised him that I will repeat that. He said to me that everlasting is forever. Amen. And in the voice of Marvin, he said, forever is a long time. And that's how long I'm going to love you. That's how long God's going to love us. And then he reminded me, he said, Edna, he said, I draw you to myself with loving kindness. 
And he showed me the example that it's just like a father that picks our mother, that picks up that child that's hurting and lay that child head upon his shoulder and he embraces that child. That's exactly how God draws us to himself with his loving kindness. I am a mother of six children. I gave birth to five. The sixth child God gave me as a special gift. I had six that I raised. My last two were Irish twins. I'm almost out of here. They were Irish twins. One year, 13 days, and 11 hours apart. I didn't get it down to the seconds. And the older had a way of manipulating the younger by saying, I, 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 thought, I thought you was my brother. Amen. And then the younger would have a way of manipulating the older by saying, I'm going to tell mama you wasn't watching me like you were supposed to. Amen. There were times when they were babies that they really required my attention. And they required that attention at the same time. And I can remember that I would have one on my shoulder and I would have the other on my lap. Many days I would cry. My mother would say, Edna, they're going to grow up. It ain't going to be like this always. But I would have my right hand on one's back and my left hand on the other. And ultimately, both of my sons would be comforted. And God told me to tell you that that's what's happening right now, people. Yes, black lives matter. White lives matter. But they are Irish twins before God. And a lot of times, God will have one on his shoulder and he'll have the other on his lap and he'll have the other children all surrounding him because as the songwriter said he's got the whole world in his hand and when God puts his hands on you when God puts his hands on you ultimately you will be comforted so God is comforting the black man. God is comforting the white man. God is comforting us all because he's got the whole world in his hand. Hallelujah. And he said, I called you by name. He said, you are mine. Come on, I want you to attest to it. He called you by name, you are mine. And God wants you to understand from this day forward that he loves you with an un with an un a, a, a love that's everlasting it will never go out God told me to tell you that unearned suffering is redemptive say it with me one more time unearned suffering 
is redemptive. God bless you.
This one's on. Okay, I know you won't be able to hear me like we were in those speakers, but this, these next 10 minutes as we finish up are very, very, very important. So hang in there with us. Can y'all hear me in the back at all? Okay. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to have our last speaker who's going to take about five minutes, and then we have a declaration and the blast of the shofar, and we'll celebrate together and we'll go home. Is that all right? Thank you, AWC, you amazing people. Come on, let's, let's welcome Pastor Roland Smith. Which mic is his? Good morning, AWC. Good to be here this morning. Greetings from Canton, Louisiana. Amen. This morning I would like to talk about a serious subject, which is unity and love, the responsibility of the church. Unity and love, the responsibility of the church. And first, I would like to thank Dr. Martin and Dr. Linnell for giving us this opportunity. Why? Because so many are saying that we need to come to the table and talk. I thank you because you became the table. You became the table so that we could demonstrate and not just talk. Because the Bible teaches us how to love. So we shouldn't be coming to the table for me to tell you how to love me. You need to know that already. But today, the reason we are talking about it is because it is the church's responsibility to demonstrate and practice unity and love in front of a dark world. And we are in a dark hour, and we need to start practicing what we preach. Amen? And so I want to simply read one verse from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 13, verse 35. And it simply says this, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The love that you have for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That, world, that word prove means to demonstrate in truth. When we start loving one another genuinely, we are demonstrating in proof. One of the things that we have done as a church organization, and when I use the word church, I'm talking about the church universal. We have advocated our authority and responsibility to the government. Can I say this? Your government do not have the capability or the capacity to show unity and love, the love and unity that we need. Our government do not have that type of capabilities. It is the church's responsibility to give love, to show love, to demonstrate it, and practice it on a regular basis. It is our responsibility, church, to do that. 
And so you, there are two ways to demonstrate a thing. You do it by modeling or teaching. And now we have taught love a, a long time. Now it's time to practice and demonstrate love the way love should be doing. I love our government, but at the same time, they don't have the capacity to do what we've been given the authority and ability to do. There's an old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. We are that picture now. It is our moment to show forth love. It is the proof is in the pudding. We need to demonstrate what we've been preaching all these years about. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it simply says this. How can you love God, whom you have never seen? Anyone ever seen God out there? I need to talk to you after this. But you can't love your brother and sister who you see every day. We need to learn how to practice love. In fact, it goes on to say this. If you say you love God and can't love your brother or sister, it simply says that you are a liar. And the truth is being revealed today right here at AWC. Not only are we saying how to love, we're showing you what love looks like. We're showing you how to demonstrate love. We'll, listen, they are taking the first steps, not just to talk about it, not just to be silent about it, but to come out and to demonstrate what it is. They have become the light and salt in a dark hour. And so this is our moment. Let me read you one more scripture that I'm through. It says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Let me read it one more time. It says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. This is my last statement to you, church. Are you wise or are you a fool? If you continue to keep silent, you're going to continue to look foolish. But when you stand up for righteousness the way God said we are right, then you will be intelligent, you will be wise, and you will demonstrate the love that you have in your capacity to show one another brotherly love. Amen. God bless Check, check, check. Hey, everybody. My name is Martin Williams. I'm your pastor. Some of you, anyway, we have people from several churches here today, and we bless you. I speak to Ambassadors Worship Center. Give me just a couple of minutes. I've been invited to all the rooms, folks, all the rooms that are privy to me. 
in this state and in, any, in other states surrounding here. And after the third meeting, I was tired of praying. I'm tired of talking. I'm not a talker, and I pray to prepare myself for what I'm called to do. Today, I'm prepared to stand before you, AWC, and say three things. Number one, thank you, AWC, for fighting over the last 25 years to be a multicultural church. It's been hard work for us. Many of us have had to give up a lot of what we think about the world to build this house. We've stuck together when we've disagreed. We've disagreed on who we're voting for. We've disagreed on what the statutes are. We've disagreed on how people are treated. But we decided that on Sunday morning, we would come together and fight in person and have discussions and in small groups. You've done that forever. It's natural for us. But AWC, the world has not been doing what we've been doing. And many among us were not able to pay the price. They had to make a choice at whether they would want to be comfortable on Sunday morning or uncomfortable. But many of you decided we'll be uncomfortable to figure out how we can live together. And I want to thank you. But because the world doesn't have an example, I decided to put our hat in the ring to say that if you don't know how to do it and you want to learn how to do it, if you want to learn how to walk in unity, AWC is the right place to do it. I am not sure what the evangelicals are going to do. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to find out what the charismatics will do. I'm waiting for the voices of our generals and those who have led us to this place. No one is saying anything, but I don't think we can wait. I think we must be an example of what unity is. I think we need to fight for the house, Pastor Brad, that's on fire. And the black house and the brown house is on fire right now. But if we can be a blessing to everybody by building a system called the kingdom, which everyone can live in, I believe that's the answer for our world. So I have a declaration, and I'm about done. <laughs> so I'll ask my wife and our guest speakers to join me. And I want Cantor Nichols to bring his horn. Make sure this man's mic for that horn is hot. Come on up, ladies and gentlemen. Joshua, come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. The Bible says that that there's a blessing that follows unity. And that blessing that follows unity is a river that flows to all the nations. And we're pronouncing that from here, right here on this corner, and right here from this city of Omaha, that perhaps we can lead the world in what's next to do. We can show them what unity is like, what fighting for one another is like, what standing for one another is like. We can exude that from this hill in the spirit. So I make the declaration today. Anything, Pastor Linnell? There's always something. Hold on. 
Good morning, Ambassadors Worship Center and those that are with you. You've heard me say before, I am always glad when there is an opportunity to come to the house of the Lord. And if you agree with me that in this place that we stand this morning, that this is holy ground and that there is not a church building that has walls that can contain the church universal for those that are called by his name that love him and we decree in Omaha, Nebraska in the heart of this nation we lift up the name of Jesus Christ above every situation every pandemic every situation across the universe and we decree with one voice that our God, He is God! So here's the proclamation, secondly, from me. We declare today, and we decree today, that from this moment and from this place, healing will run and race through our land. Reconciliation will run through our land. Righteousness, judgment, and justice, which bring peace, will run rampant through our land. That the hearts of men and women who are in power will change. God will touch the hearts of his people. Today, we declare that this right here is ground zero. This right here is ground zero. This right here. It's ground zero. If you agree on the count of three, shout one, two, three. Shout to God. Blow those horns. Lift him up from this place. That from here, healing begins. Power begins in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Let the rivers of justice flow. Let the rivers of righteousness flow. Let the rivers of unity flow from this place in Jesus' name. 